Right, hello, welcome to the latest episode of the Big Football Podcast. Uh, hosting as always, my name's Dan, I'm joined this evening by Paul. Good evening. Calm. Hello. And all the way from sunny Mallorca, a guest and a good friend of mine, Andrew. Andy, how are you doing? Hey mate, I'm very good, glad to be here. It's uh, very very good of you to um, to join us, and I know we're... You'll be itching to, to say a few things about Barcelona, the, the team that you support. But what, one story I always love about you, we've known each other for nearly 20 years now, um, yeah. which is a long, long time. Um, but the the, um, the the story of how you learned English is something that always amused me. Um, you learned English from watching Cartoon Network. Uh, yes, uh, actually, it was 85% card network and 50% school. So basically, I had like little knowledge of English from school, but then card network was like, I, I wanted to understand what they were saying. So basically, I was watching uh, cartoons all day with a dictionary by my side. So I can look up for words <laughs> that I couldn't understand. And of course, you speak better English than me. That's not hard, though. Um, so you're from sunny Mallorca. Um, me and you have shared shared um, tapas in in Palma a few years ago, which was yeah very nice. And we hope to do it again next year after um, both of our holidays were cancelled due to COVID this, this year. Actually, um, if we get to the stuff that you might want to avoid, but you're here to talk to to us about um today has been another crazy day in the world of barcelona um with the offices being raided and bartholomew being arrested what's going on andy can, can you give us a brief summary of, of what exactly is going on at barcelona because it seems to take a turn for the worse every single week um at the moment i think um there's a huge battle between um Let's say people that support um, Cruyff, Johan Cruyff type of football. And the other part, which I'm going to say, is people that want to do uh, or, or want to work with Barcelona, Real Madrid style, which is let's get the best names, uh, get the best um, players, and uh, instead of focusing on La Masia, our own players, etc. Which means uh, Bartomeu uh, took like a huge hit uh, a few months back with a censorship motion. I don't know if it's if that's the right word in English, but basically, uh, COVID really um, made it worse from the money point of view. You know, for for Barcelona and for everyone, each club. Uh, they, uh, they, they had to make big cuts in regarding money, no? And uh, basically, right now, um, Bartomeu is going to go to prison, I'm pretty sure. And uh, he messed up everything that um, Guardiola and the, the, the previous president, uh, John Laporta, uh, all, the, all the work that they've done. I don't know if... if, if you understand me, more or less. Yeah, I get exactly what you mean. Yeah, it's kind of... It's... Barcelona is such a, a massive club, and yet, and yet it seems to be amateur hour. I mean, I mean, Paul, Cam, we, we've talked about this before, how how things seem to 
be just strange at Barcelona and I'm sure Andy's going to give us some more insight into that now. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's always been the the way that the Spanish, uh, the big Spanish clubs are run with the sort of presidential election style means it's it's inevitable that they're going to be kind of political animals as much as they're going to be uh, sporting institutions. And I think you know at different times, both Real Madrid and Barcelona have had these periods of kind of instability that's almost a result of having this kind of presidential style uh, of of club model. It means that you know. People have to make certain promises to get themselves into positions of power, and then and then there's a question as to whether they live up to their promises. And and I know from my own uh, work done in a sort of political arena that you, um, when you are worried about maintaining power and uh, keeping yourself in office, whether that's as a politician or as a you know president of a football club. You make decisions based on your time frame. So, you know, if you are the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, a lot of your decisions are going to be things that are going to bear fruit in time for you to get yourself re-elected. And I think there's an element of that that happens wherever you put elections. And and Barcelona have possibly been a slightly uh, unfortunate victim of a of a president who got himself in a bit of a mess early on and then has made increasingly strange decisions to try and kind of win back popularity. And and that seems to have had an effect. But I also, the the bit that I'm really interested in is, is to what extent has there been this divide that seemed to open up last summer or, or certainly seemed to come into the public domain last summer, maybe it opened up before then, between the dressing room and very much the kind of, if you like, the messy clique in the dressing room and the people running the club at boardroom level, because there seems to be a complete breakdown in trust between Messi and his group in the in the team um, and the people upstairs. And I wonder whether Andy's got any insight into kind of what caused that breakdown and, and where it goes from here. Uh, yes. Yeah, so a few weeks back, I watched an interview of Gerard Piquet with a very famous Spanish streamer. And they asked him about the Messi situation, you know, um, about wanting him to go away from the club. So basically, Piquet was very, he, he was not very rude, but he made us understand that basically the president didn't, how do I put it, didn't put in the work with the players because Piquet is, is a very important figure in, in Barcelona. He is, he's a very powerful um, businessman and uh, the joke uh, around here in Spain is that he eventually, when he will retire, he's, he's going to be the next Barcelona president. <laughs> so he said in that interview that uh, he talked to Bartomeu and said, uh, President, things are not going okay around the locker room. You should come, pay a visit, see what's wrong, see what's okay, and be a president, you know? It's like uh, sometimes you have to make uh, decisions that are not okay, but you have to make make decisions, you know? And he didn't do that. Basically, from what I understood, he was a coward. He didn't involve himself with the players. And, um, yeah, there's, you know, there, there are people who think that there is a click inside the locker room. Uh, it could be like people like Piquet, Messi, Busquets, and all the all the all the players, so to say, uh, which might be. I'm not very sure of that, but 
still Messi is a very important figure in our club. He has to be happy, of course. And at the same time, it's very easy to please him if you do things the proper way. I don't know what you guys think. When, whenever I, I think of Barcelona, I, I think I, I, it might not be the most famous player in the eyes of some people, but to my generation, like Lionel Messi is one of the top two greatest footballers of all time. I think it depends on your club lines who you might think is the greatest because I, I, I would say that um, Messi is more kind of player than Cristiano Ronaldo but I have some problems with Cristiano Ronaldo for obvious reasons um, I'm sure you can all guess what that, <laughs> what that is um, so whenever I, I, I see Messi coming to the end of his career now and it, it almost ended in a really distasteful way last, last summer and it's just it's just strange. I, I thought Messi would would possibly end up in the dugout at, at the new camp, to be honest, although he does have a reputation and, and Paul and Carl might might laugh at this. He does have a reputation on this podcast of picking the team. Yeah, and and I think that's my view is and you know, clearly Messi is is a, you know, maybe the greatest player of all time. He's certainly Barcelona's greatest player of all time. And, and and it's absolutely right that he has a sort of legendary status within the club. I wonder, and he's still their best player as well. I mean, Andy obviously watches much more Barcelona than I do, but whenever I watch them, I still think Lionel Messi is their best player. I just wonder if, if the, you know, the age he is now, do they need to start to wean themselves off Lionel Messi in order to kind of rebuild not only as a, as a team, but think about, and I'm an Arsenal fan, Andy, I think about the last two years that Thierry Henry was at Arsenal before we sold him to Barcelona. And the experienced players he'd played with had all gone. Campbell, Vieira, Pires, Jumberg. They, I think Jumberg might have still been there, but the rest of them, Bergkamp, they'd all gone. And the younger players who came into the team were definitely scared to not pass to Henry. And, and the team became incredibly Thierry Henry-centric when he was a player who was starting. I mean, he was, what, 30, 31 at that point, was starting to go on to the downslope of his career. Uh, Those last two seasons that Henry was at Arsenal, we never got close to challenging for the Premier League. The first summer after we sold him, when the focal point became Adebayor, who was not anywhere near as good a player as Thierry Henry, but was a player who... Um, didn't have that same kind of fear factor of the young players. Uh, You know, we were top of the league till April. We we nearly won it. So I think there's a point there about even though Messi is still without doubt their best player, I I wonder if some of those new guys coming into the club and coming into the team are a bit in awe of him in the way that, you know, the Xavi's and the Iniesta's and the Busquets and people like that weren't because they were of that same generation. And, and I, I do think often about that 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 comparison to Henri's last couple of years at Arsenal when, you know, a young Cesc Fabregas and a young Robin Van Persie um, and we brought Alexander Kleb in and whatever, they, they almost, if Henri demanded the ball, they gave it to him, whether it was the right pass or not, because it was Thierry Henri. And, and I think there can be a little bit of that that creeps in when you get these great players at the, end, on, at the tail end of their career when maybe the team that they've grown up with and been used to has kind of disappeared from around them. 
and and that that that's just one of the perspectives that I have when I look at it. Yeah, it's really interesting actually. Paul, I hadn't sort of considered it in that way, but I think um, you know with the sort of Henri comparison, but I, I, you know. You, you can't really sort of blame those players, can you? I suppose because if you think no, of course Henri, not. Of course you know not. What I mean, when you think what Henri was to Arsenal, you know, obviously hugely important player in in an Arsenal's history. But Messi's like probably ten times that for Ball, five times that for Barca. Do you know what I mean? So it's like enhanced even more. Um, and uh, so yeah, it is it is difficult. But I think the question then is, you know, you mentioned like weaning themselves off him, and I, and I know what you're getting at, but equally. Well, does that mean you put him on the bench every other week? Because that's obviously not going to work. I think that you know, is it, is it actually more uh, you rip the plaster by not having him as an option? Um, you know, you go cold turkey <laughs> if you like and do it that way. Because I, I, I don't, I don't think you can do a halfway house, particularly given the tantrum we saw last summer. Um, you know, stamping his feet and demanding a move, um, which looks like will happen this summer anyway. So maybe it will just naturally happen that way in a few months. Um, we, we'll wait and see, but I, I feel like that maybe is the only, the only way really to just start afresh. Um, and you know, so and, I, I and, think, yeah, I think that's right. Con. I think me, the, yeah. the, the other way to me, it, but but Messi has to be bought in on this. The other way to me is that you sort of say to him, look, we're almost going to start with a blank sheet of paper here, Lionel, and you're whatever age you are, 33, 34, we'd be more than happy for you to stay, but we are, we are not we're not throwing all our eggs in the basket to win in 2022. We are starting almost with a blank sheet of paper to try and rebuild this team. And we're going to bring another batch of players through from the academy. And we're going to try and do it that way. Um, But you have to have him on board with that because I think the problem at the moment is he looks around him and he's so frustrated, clearly so frustrated because he's thinking, where are the where are the guys? I'm used to having guys who you know who who are world class players in their own right playing with me. And he and, and Andy started, I think, before we came before we went live by saying you know things have kind of gone downhill from the moment Neymar left. And that you know that idea that Messi hasn't got a Neymar there anymore. He hasn't got a you know a, um, a, a Xavi. He hasn't got an Iniesta. He hasn't got those players who a Luis Suarez even. Um, he hasn't got those players around him uh, and he's really frustrated. And And if Barcelona are going to take the patient-patient approach and say, well, we're going to try and fill those gaps with some of the young players who've started to come into the first team from the academy, then Messi kind of has to be bought into the fact that that might mean they don't win the league this year and it might mean they don't win the league next year. And if he isn't willing to kind of accept that that's the reality then probably you're where, where you're saying, Colin, you end up in that position where you just have to rip the flaster off. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not for, for a minute saying that the biggest problem at Barcelona is Lionel Messi. It's clearly upstairs. <laughs> it clearly, as Andy's already said, it starts right at the yeah. very, very top. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But then, it, you know, all these issues kind of come together. Yeah. So the, the, the question that leads me on to that is, is something... Um, that Andy mentioned at the start, which I hadn't quite realised, because I don't know if this gets reported, but around the sort of, sounds like there's been an ideological battle at the club as well, um, around how to approach that rebuilding, whether it should be, you know, you mentioned, Paul, around, you know, bringing players through from the academy versus, you know, sort of going out and and doing some shopping um, for for the best players out there. And, you know, Barca's transfer policy has seemed a bit mixed, 
in recent years and, and perhaps not how they've you know we've been used to them operating so i don't know andy maybe you could give us a, a bit more information on you know from someone who's much closer to the club yeah. how that's operating and, and the problems that seems to be causing uh i think the the first problem was um not finding the good players to uh put in when chavi's leaving the club and iniesta leaving the club you know we we had such a i don't know what what the good word to say without using the S word, <laughs> you know, <laughs> trash. Got, like re- extremely, yeah, trash. Like I'm going to say, not very qualified players for our in the mid, uh, you know, to to take the place of Xavi and Iniesta, because basically what you guys said before, and and it's 100 that way. Messi was used to play around very very good players like. Maybe Xavi Iniesta could be one of the best midfielders in the history of, of football. Absolutely. And when you take that out, and you have to play with Rakitic, which is not a very, it's not a bad player, but he's not Iniesta, and he's not Xavi. And uh, what's the other guy named with the Mohawk? God, I hate him so much. Vidal. Uh, now, for, yeah. <laughs> what is that guy doing in Barcelona? Like, not, not for real. Like, it's, it's. We had a great coach. Like one of the best, we had a great team, like S tier, right? And then we go from that to a, a coach which is Ernesto Valverde, which is not a bad coach, but as one of my best friends said, and he he used to play for Barcelona when he was young. He said, "Okay, well, Ernesto Valverde is a good coach, but he's not a Barcelona coach. Barcelona needs a top ten coach in the world, you know." Big egos, big names. You have to have someone like Jurgen Klopp, for example, someone like Arsene Wenger, or one of these, you know, one of these uh, coaches to to have like a balance, you know, between the players and all the egos and everything. And uh, apart from that, what what you said about two different visions for the club? Yeah, there's people like Joan Laporta who will surely win the next um, election who want to uh, work with the, the younger players of the club and you know just get one or two very good players i don't know for example when Dani Alves came in 2019 sorry 2009 we really needed a very good left back uh, sorry right back and they say okay let's pay a lot of money for Dani Alves And I don't know. We we need a very good uh, center forward. Let's get uh, I don't know who it was Samuelito by then. So yeah, two players came from from other clubs. The rest of the players were from the La Masia, or most of them, you know. And then on on the other part, there are people that really want to do business with the club. You know, like all these Brazilian transfers we had last year, and for the past two years, nobody knows who they are. We paid a lot of money, and basically there were transfers that a lot of um, businessmen from Barcelona got a lot of money, you know? Like, uh, I don't know how to explain that, but basically they were like in the middle of Barcelona and the player, and if Barcelona um, bought the player, they had got the, like, I don't know how it's, how it's called, like... Yeah, um, I think... I think- 
I think the word we use in English is intermediaries, sort of people who are just linking everybody up to make the transfer happen. Exactly. That's the word. They like links between the players and Barcelona. And like a few days back, we we just found out in the newspaper that this guy in Barcelona who who just won 10 10 million million euros for the Malcolm signing. Do you you remember Malcolm? Now plays in Russia. I I, I, I do um, because Arsenal were about to sign him before Barcelona saved us from that travesty. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yes, they paid 40 million euros for that guy. Nobody knew who he was. He was coming from Brazil. I know that uh, Rome wanted to sign him and Barcelona got in the middle. They signed him as a right uh, forward, something like that. And then um, we paid 40 million euros for that guy. And 10 million euros went to this um, link guy in between the Brazilian club and Barcelona. So it's like, <laughs> it's, it's, and, and a lot of players for Barcelona B came the same way, which eventually they end up in Russia, in uh, Ukraine. And, you know, it's, it's like a way to use, they use Barcelona for their own businesses and, and making money with the money of the club. And that happened a lot. Um, one thing I wanted to, to touch on, Andy, um, especially because of the rumors in the English newspapers this morning about who uh, Juan Laporta might have his eye on as the next manager. What's the situation in terms of Ronald Koeman's future? Oh, that's a very hard question to answer. Um, and to be honest, um, I've checked with people working there, and uh, it depends a lot. Or, or it depends on many things. Um, some people say that the Arsenal <laughs> manager is going to come. Uh, his- yeah, that, that's what that's what in the English press this morning. Laporta's number one number one target is Arteta. I don't know. I think it depends a lot on number one, what 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 we do in the end of the season. We won't win La Liga, that's for sure. But I think if we get a Champions League spot, that's that's okay, because we had a lot of injuries this year, a lot of bad luck. I mean, and and apart from that, we didn't sign anyone. So I mean, Sergio Des, that's it. And I know Kuman wanted two players. And there was no money for any signing. So uh, we can't judge a man if, you know, if he has that much bad luck like he had this year. And especially since they didn't find any of the players he wanted. I mean, don't find everyone, but at least two or three. We needed two or three new players. We haven't got a, a center forward. I mean, we're playing with, uh, uh, with that guy. I don't even know his name. And Breath, he plays for my Ma- team. Martin Brethwaite. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, what? Like, he's a really nice guy, but is he a Barcelona player? Like, well, he was—he was, he was barely a Middlesbrough player, so <laughs> I'd be surprised if he's good enough for Barcelona. That—that that guy won the lottery. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, so yeah, that says a lot about our last president. You know, it's—it's—it's it's, it's nonsense. Everything, everything that happened is like. I don't know, man. Ever since, ever since Real Madrid won three Champions League back to back, I think Bartomeu went crazy. Like, and, and and after that, Neymar Neymar goes, 
goes to PSG. He pays 150 million for Dembélé and then 150 million for Coutinho. And I think basically his brain, you know, uh, shrunk or something or directly exploded and he stopped thinking straight. He, he, he lost his head, you know. He, it's a really good point, though, about the because it does happen. You see it, you know, um, a club that is a big rival with another club does really, really well. And it, it makes the one who is trying to catch up panic. I think yeah. there, was, there was some of that in the period when, you know, when Pep was at Barcelona and Barcelona were dominant. And Real Madrid made some strange moves when they were when they were first yeah. trying to work out how do you catch up to this this team. Um, and I think I think it does happen that, you know, yeah, the money that was paid for Dembele again, nice player. He'd had a, a good a good year at Dortmund, but it was crazy, crazy money at the time. Is, and, is he and, the one uh, that couldn't do any kick ups when he's on? He's on vacation. <laughs> yeah. Is that's all I remember? <laughs> so I, sorry, Paul, to interrupt. I think <laughs> what that the the amount of money that he paid for Dembele says a lot about him, about his lack of self confidence as a president. You know, like how desperate was he? to sign Dembele for one more than 100, 100 million euros. It's like, it says a lot of that he lacks personality. He lacks, you know, um, of course, he, one of his top players just went for PSG. But he should have said, you know, come in front of everyone and say, listen, uh, this is something that he wanted to do. It had nothing to do with us because Neymar was always extremely spoiled, extremely spoiled by Barcelona. And he should have said, we're not going to hurry up um, signing someone, you know, um, and pay a lot of money because everyone knows we have a lot of money and everyone will ask us for a lot of money. I remember they wanted to sign like Ericsson from, from, um, from Tottenham and they were asking for two, 200 million euros. And I'm like, come on, man, come on. Like, F off, you know. <laughs> but let's let's not be stupid. Let's have personality. And he should have been, like, a, a very good salesman with two, and try to convince the fans that, okay, Neymar, Neymar went to PSG. What we should do is, first thing, uh, get the hit, you know. Which it, it's a huge blow. Okay, let's, let's go with the, with the blow and then recover, think straight, and see what we can do maybe in winter, you know, and, and that's it. And, and there are a lot of young players, let's, you know, there's so many things he could have done, but obviously he's not a very smart man because he did exactly what he shouldn't have done. That's my humble opinion. I don't know what you guys think. The, um, the point about sort of explaining to the fans that they weren't going to panic and, and weren't going to sort of rush into something, it reminds me, and it might go over your head, Andy, but it reminds me, uh, Dan and Khan, of, of Kevin Keegan standing on the steps of St. James's after he'd sold Andy Cole yeah, to Man United. Yeah. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Uh, and saying to the fans, you know, okay, we've just sold our top striker to our biggest rivals, but you're going to have to trust me. You're going to have to, you know, wait and see what we do in the, in the summer. Because, again, that was at the end of a transfer window. And he was saying, uh, you know, you'll just have to stick with us and believe in us and show some faith. And I think there is something to that. We, we've seen it in the Premier League twice, haven't we? Two, two years where... Your own team did it down when the Suarez money came in, and and you rushed to go and spend it and didn't get great value on a lot of the a lot of the players that were bought. Markovic, and we saw Balotelli, it when, Lambert, yeah, exactly. And we saw it when um, when Tottenham sold Gareth Bale to Real Madrid, and 
uh, they signed about you know was it eleven players, and and there was only Christian Eriksen who was any good out of them. Um, I mean, Eric Lamella is still there, but that's mainly because they can't find anyone silly enough to buy him. Um, <laughs> you, you know, there's there's that thing that uh, when you sort of do have that money burning your, a hole in your pocket, there's a desperate desire to go and show your fans how how ambitious you've been by spending it. Yeah, and, um, and I, again, I think there's that that scale thing as well. Like, you know, Keegan at Newcastle could probably get away with it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, at, at Barca, I, 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 you yeah. know, I, I don't think it would fly. Yeah, um, Ronald Koeman's not getting away with that. Red Ronnie and his red Christmas tree. Not getting away with <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah, yeah but um, I think I, people people in Barcelona hated Neymar and they didn't hate Bartomeu, you know? So it was a strange situation because they didn't sell him. PSG came with the money, Yeah, you know? It's, of course, it's, it's it's not the same. Like it, PSG came with the money, and they gave it to Neymar, and Neymar said, "Here you have." I'm pissing off. Here yeah, it, it's you know? um, it's people hated Neymar, and they would always hate Neymar for that. They didn't hate Bartomeu, and he had all the cards in his hands, you know, to do the right thing. Maybe just you know say, "I screwed up," or I don't know what we done that made Neymar not being happy. But if he doesn't, he should have had the cojones to say, yeah. if you don't want to be at Barcelona, which is one of the best uh, clubs in the world, you don't deserve to be here. And that's it. Yeah. You know? yeah. Everyone would, would, would stand up, applause and say, we have a lot of money for him. Let's, let's do not uh, sign anyone for a lot of money. Just let's wait and see how things turn out. We have a lot of great players. We have Lionel Messi. We have a Suarez. I mean, what more would you need? Because they, they, they got Dembele. He broke his leg like three weeks later, and we still played with, with Suarez and Messi. And then we got Coutinho, who basically mm, played for two or three months before he got injured also. And it's like, it was totally useless. Like three, how, how much was it? 300 million euros? Absolutely, for nothing. Yeah, it, it was crazy money that Barcelona spent in um, in the the, the 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 light of of Neymar leaving, and as well with, with Coutinho, Andy, like Liverpool were adamant that he wouldn't be sold in that window, and then that's what turned Barcelona towards Dembele, and then they signed him in the January anyway. It's just a lack of strategy yeah. all round. Yeah, it's doing things from a dis- desperate perspective, and you know, when when you throw money like that, like you need to have a second thought and a third thought and a, and a twenty thought. You know, um, I don't know. What, what one question? That's my humble opinion. What, one question I've got, Andy, because I know I know you you need to to leave us quite soon. Um, with regards to the new camp redevelopment. How is that coming along, and how how much is that looking like it's going to cost? Because that seems to be a big reason there's no money to spend at Barcelona as well as COVID. Uh, I think everything right now is on pause until we have a new president. Um, to be honest, um, I I've talked with a lot of friends in Barcelona regarding the whole situation, and uh, there's a lot of uncertainty about everything. Um, on the 7th of March, we have a new, we're going to have a new president, which is probably going to be Joan Laporta. 
And uh, from that on, we'll see what will happen. I, I think, in my humble opinion, I think they, they, they should totally ignore that and uh, focus on other things. Because if not, we're going to be the next Manchester City. You know, big, big money people from, from Qatar will come, buy everything, and Barcelona is going to lose its essence. Like, you know, los socios, what we call as socios, you know, the fans that, that vote for the president. The, the, the club is for the fans and the, the fans, you know, the socios. I don't know how you call them in English. It's like the, the people that pay every year, you know. Season ticket holders. Money. Yeah, exactly. And uh, there are like 100k of them. There's many of them. All of them can vote. And yeah, uh, it depends. I mean, right now, and as I've spoken with other people, our biggest problem right now is uh, finding a good coach, which in my humble opinion, I think Kuman, as I said, is okay. Uh, find new talent. Um, and find a very good center forward. Like everyone here in Spain uh, want, um, want, we want to sign uh, Holland from, um, from Borussia Dortmund. He has to be the next, um, I don't know, man of the club, just like when Messi will retire, could be this year. Even though many people say that if Joan Laporta wins, Messi will stay. 99%, which is quite a high percentage, um, I think we need a very good center forward. And after we rebuild the team uh, and get experience with the team and maybe all the COVID situation ends so they can start making a lot of money because they were making a lot of money, but they were also spending a lot of money, like no profit, no nothing. Um, maybe after that, we can see what we can do with Camno. And I think most of the people uh, think the same way that I do. I, I have a better idea. Barcelona sign Roberto Firmino and let Liverpool sign Haaland. <laughs> Dan, 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 they've already given you 150 million for Philip Coutinho. <laughs> They're not going to do the same again for Roberto Firmino. They, they don't have any money. They can spend, they, they don't have money for, for, for Firmino. I, I don't know what, what Laporta is going to do to get a good centre forward. Maybe he's going to sell his mother. I don't know, but uh, I could see that like, on a campaign post. <laughs> dude, we're broke. Like Barcelona is so broke. Like we're, we're beyond poor. Like they, they, all the wages that they they spend, uh, all the money they spend on wages for all these players. Like, do you think that, for example, I don't know, uh, um, Busquets gets like fifteen million euros per year, but that's that it's actually costing Barcelona like 27 or 28, 28 million because they also have to pay the taxes for the Spanish uh, government. So it's like it's like a lot of money. Like I don't know, it's, it's such a strange situation to be honest. But I I I don't mind that. I just want to see again a team that plays okay and they slowly build up and play very good. Because for the last three years, watching Barcelona game one made me rip my eyes out. You know, it, it, it was horrible. Like I remember the last year with Valverde was Jesus. Oh my God! It was what, what you know? I've been used. We've been used, the Barcelona fan. We've been used. It's so 
such great game throughout, like, I don't know, 2008 up until 2015, 16. Great game, many years, great players, great football. And then all of a sudden, we get, we get this weird coach who was, to be honest, he had a lack of personality. And weird football, we, all, we always won because Messi did something magical, or Suarez, because they're like that. Not, not a team effort, you know? And, um, yeah, it, it was horrible. Like, I just, myself as a fan, I want everything to be built up slowly. Be excited about watching the game. Not because of winning or losing, because of playing good football, you know? And eventually, I know that good players, uh, if they don't have any, you know, uh, injuries, which is like a coin toss sometimes, um, then eventually we will be on top again. That's that's the hope, because Barcelona are synonymous with um, big matches. You know, like, growing up, all, all I've known for most of the time is Barcelona, Barcelona, Barcelona always in and around um, winning the European Cup. So let, let's hope that's um, that's the case again, too. because personally, I I always enjoy watching Barcelona play. Um, have we got any more questions to Randy because he, he's short on time? I can, I can stay five more minutes if you want. Anything you want to? I, I think then, if, if uh, given that we've got five more minutes, I, I'm interested, Andy, and it's not really a question about where Barcelona are now, but... If you think back to that kind of um, that Pep Guardiola era um, uh, at Barcelona, what, what what are the particular highlights, or the specific games, or other specific moments that really stand out? Um, wow, well, I'm, I'm going to say the first one is the first game he played as Guardiola team played in La Liga, which they lost. And they played amazing. <laughs> and everyone was focused. And I said, I remember telling my friends, dude, like, this team is going to be one of the best teams in the history of the, of the sport. And they were like, but they just lost you. I mean, dude, you have to take a look how they, how they play really fast. They had, they had bad luck. And that was like a, a really interesting because like three months later, I, I, everything was going like very smoothly. We were beating everyone. And that friend of mine said, you are right. And I was, of course, I was right. So that, that was a very funny, a very funny story. Uh, of course, um, I think the 2-6 in Bernabeu was unexpected. That was great. Um, you know, scoring six, six goals in Bernabeu, when we could have scored like 12. And that, that was cool. And... Um, I really liked the, the second Champions League final against Manchester United, the 3-1-1. I knew um, you were going to say that. I, I like both of those. I think, yeah, the first one was really cool, but I think Barcelona was still a team that lacked some self-confidence. But the second final was like, we're, we're, we're the MF Kings over here. And we're gonna do whatever we want, and we're gonna yeah. beat you again. And uh, and basically one of the toughest games I've ever seen. And one one more game I'm going to talk about, which is <laughs> the game against um, Chelsea. 
that famous game with Drogba going nuts. And, um, the the Iniesta equaliser right at the end. Yeah. That was also funny. That moment, that moment, a lot of people say that that moment was magical. And I'm going to say that moment was absolutely S-H-I-T. Because it was one of the worst games I've ever seen. And for me, it's very important that, I don't know, uh, if I watch football, that it's pleasing to the eye, you know. And that game was absolutely rubbish. But it was so bad. We all and, know. And the referee got, went nuts. He, he made a lot of mistakes, both sides. And uh, <laughs> I remember I, I screamed my lungs out when Iniesta scored. But after <laughs> that, I watched the game again. One of those people that watched the game two or three times. Because there were a lot of people telling, oh, the referee definitely helped Barcelona. Um, and yeah, you can say that. Uh, but I watched the game over and it was such a mess. I mean, I um, I think Didier Drogba did well not to rip that referee's head off his neck. <laughs> I mean, I'm never one to condone violence against officials, but at that yeah. particular moment, if I was Didier Drogba, I'm not I'm not sure I'd have controlled myself quite as well as he did. He, that referee was such a mess. He uh, was awful. He was he was he was awful, and basically he he messed up the whole game from the first minute of the game. Everything. Uh, it, it, I, I can only think one uh, game worse than that, which was the Real Madrid versus Liverpool final, the Champions League, which is, from my point of view, was not a football game. Was a meme, totally a meme with carriers and his performance. I think those two are the worst game I've seen in my entire life. Top level football, of course. I'm not saying like you know. <laughs> Villages, village football or Sunday league, you know. I mean, from top teams, top football, like these have to, to be the two worst games I've ever seen in my life. I don't know what I, you guys think about the Liverpool Real Madrid final. I think, um, so I think the Liverpool Real Madrid final, uh, Real Madrid had a very clear game plan. Um, so and in, that game in Jim Moore Salah. Well, 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 certainly they had to do two things with one, they had to slow Salah down, and two, they had to slow the game down. Because if, if the game was going to be played at Liverpool's tempo, uh, Real Madrid got no chance of winning. They had to make it a slow game. That was the only way they could win. Um, Liverpool are still vulnerable against teams who can slow the pace down on them. Um, and it, it's it's hard to do, but when you can do it, there is a weakness there if you can slow the pace of the game down. Liverpool like to get the pace right up and the tempo right up and be right at you. Um, and Madrid had a very, very clear, it's quite cynical, but very, very clear game plan. I, I'm interested that you picked the second United final because, um, mm-hmm. I mean, they, I mean, Barcelona did batter them in that second final, but I thought the first final was a complete kind of, um, like Manchester United couldn't get the ball in the first final. In the second final, United did have a couple of little spells where they had the ball, even though, you know, even though every time Barcelona got it, you felt they were, they were going to score. I think Bart, there's a point there, Andy, what you said about Barcelona maybe not quite being as confident in that first final. Because I, I don't think they killed United as much as they could in the final yeah. third. But in the middle of the pitch, Man United just ran around chasing shadows for 90 minutes. Uh, actually, I think it was, it, 
it remember. was after that game, wasn't it, that Ferguson came up with his passing carousel line. They're like a passing yeah, carousel, and I just didn't think they could get the ball. Yeah, do you remember that the first minutes of the game, Manchester United were on, like before Eto scored the first the first goal, which basically threw Manchester United uh, off the game because obviously they were playing really well. Like I remember, I was pissing my in my pants. I was so scared. I was like, "Wow, it's like we're Barcelona, and for the last ten minutes, we haven't had the ball." And then on the first counter attack, we score, and that basically turned the tides of the game. I don't know if you guys remember that, more or less. I, I, I don't. I don't remember the first ten minutes. Maybe I've, I've flipped yeah, them from my memory. Minutes, we were, we were not on the pitch, mate. We were. Absolutely... I, I, I do remember just, just to wind Con up. I do remember that the narrative after that game from Manchester United fans was, ah, uh, that wouldn't have happened if Darren Fletcher was playing. <laughs> And, uh, and I just think when you look back now on how great that Barcelona midfield is yeah. considered to have been, the idea that Darren Fletcher kicking him for a few minutes would have changed anything is quite funny. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, no, I'm I, Andy, you might not know it. I'm a Man United fan, but uh, no, I, I expected one or both of those finals to come up. But I think, you know, the, the thing is, and I think I kind of understand why you mentioned the second one, because I think that was almost like, like you say, a, a really emphatic, you know, you know, we are, you know, without doubt, um, you know, the, the the best team around. And, you know, and you had been for a, for a couple of years already, even at that point, it was almost like a, almost a culmination of, of sort of Guardiola's yeah. time at Barcelona, really. Um, and as you've said, you know, the fortunes have, have waned ever since then. And obviously you, you made the parallel before we, we started recording uh, around with Man United that obviously, you know, haven't had the success since our last great manager left. And it, there is a bit of a parallel yeah. there in the fortunes of, 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 of the two. Um, and it's interesting you mentioned around Laporte and Guardiola, because actually the other person who left Man United who was behind the scenes was a guy called David Gill. Um, who was the the deal maker? You know, he was the chief executive yeah. around the club, and he and you know he knew his stuff. And we got we we now have this clown, um, Ed Woodward, who doesn't you know, um, yeah, is, is not as good. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> so we've had a farce on the pitch and off the pitch in the same way. So I I share a lot of the frustrations you've had because you are quite powerless sometimes <sighs> as a fan. Yeah. Uh, you know, even with your ability to to sort of vote in elections and things like that, actually, once the people are in control, you don't have, you know, you, there isn't much you personally can do. And it's frustrating just watching bad decisions happen when it's so obviously a bad decision. Um, and I've I've seen that as well. So a lot of what you've actually said in the last sort of half hour or so has, has, has rang true. Um, and so, yeah, yeah I mean, you know, it's like clubs like Barcelona and Manchester United, they're like money makers. And if you don't have the right people... Basically, everyone want, wants a share of the pie, you know. Mm-hmm. Like everyone wants money, and yeah. if you don't have the perfect people, of the perfect places, it's, yeah, it's, it's the, everyone's got their hands out, and it's, money. it's very easy to squander it. No, you're right, you're right. Yeah. And particularly in football, there's a lot of a lot of vultures and a lot of sharks to navigate around. And if you don't know how to do that, you find you start having your pants pulled down by a lot of people and, you know, exactly. some of the players some of the players and deals you've mentioned and some of the, you know, like I say, there's a roll call at United, you know, and even, you know, Paul, you've kind of said at Arsenal, you know, transfer strategy's been sort of out the window for a few years. We've all seen it happen where, uh, you know, people who don't really know what they're doing are making decisions and 
Uh, unfortunately, as fans, you sort of have to sit <laughs> sit and watch it pass it, by. It's not easy, though, you know. And luck also has a lot of a lot to do with it. Like it's 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 not an easy task, but that is why clubs like Barcelona, Manchester United, Liverpool, we have to have the top people in the game. If 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 we don't, if we have amateurs, then <laughs> things that are happening right now in Barcelona is what you what is going to happen to all the biggest clubs, you know. Like amateurs like Ian Ur, you mean? Um, if um, Andy, we we really appreciate you you joining us. It's been really interesting to talk about um, another team in another country. It's not something that we do too often, um, so we we really appreciate you you joining us. Um, do you want to to give us a little bit of a plug of your your business and your your album? Uh, well, first of all, thank you for having me. I'm really sorry that I can express all my thoughts the best way I, I, I wanted to, because as I said, my English is not as good as, as it used to be. Um, and, uh, well, actually I, my business, I, I'm, I'm a music producer, you know, I, I write music, I make smart, everything related to music. So at the moment I'm working on my website, having a new website to get people to know me. Uh, but either way, if um, if they want to follow me on Instagram and see everything that I do as a producer, as a musician, and also regarding marketing, then they can follow me at Andrew B Flat Vegan. And, and that's it. I, I I will also give you the the YouTube recommendation. Go on YouTube and search for um, Andrew B Flat Vega ladies which is the first song that you did that i heard and it's it's a really, wow really enjoyable when i went 30 pounds lighter <laughs> and seven years younger <laughs> well i think we're all that little bit heavier because of uh lockdown restrictions and covid um oh, Jesus. And, and remember you you live in the uh you, you live on the same island as magaluf that's certain alcohol consumption at some point <laughs> Yeah, and by, by the way, my, my dad used to work in a hotel in Magaluf, which right now it's nothing. It's, it's empty as <laughs> nothing. Right, nothing. Nothing special happening around there right now. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a shame. York is such a, a beautiful place. It's one of my favorite places on earth. Yeah. Um, and Andy, again, thank thank you so much for joining us. Thank you guys for having me. I hope you had a great time with my with myself. Really, and I hope to come yeah. back really, soon. Right, well, that was really interesting and we're really grateful um, to, to you, Andy, for, for coming on some interesting insight into Barcelona there and I had to bring up Ian Ur, which has soured my mood. Um, one thing that soured my mood this weekend um, was the ridiculous, deci- the, let's just say incident as opposed to decision at West Brom. L- Lee Mason, it, oh, just um, you two take it away because I'll get myself in trouble. Come on, Paul. I, I look. I um, I think Mr. Mason's doing his best to kind of hide behind this being some sort of VAR incident, but it really wasn't. This is all Lee Mason. This is Lee Mason from start to finish. He blew his whistle, allowed them to take the free kick. As they're striking, he realizes, oh crap, the goalkeeper's right on the other side of the goal. This is I'm going to get you know chased around the pitch for this. So blows his whistle again. Um, I like. I mean, at the end of the day, the referee is a referee. If he decides he wants to stop the game at any point, he can stop the game. But 
just, I mean, it's just bonkers. It's just bon- he's made a mistake blowing the first whistle, and then you know he can blow the second whistle and say, "Well, I've stopped the game," but you've still made the mistake. Um, and I, I just, you know, it's too late at that point. Either you blow the whistle and you're willing to let them take a quick free kick, or you double, triple check, everybody's set. And you see referees do this a lot now. You, if I think back to, to 15 years, that kind of quick free kick was a thing. You know, I remember Henri doing it a few times when he was at Arsenal. And um, I, th- I think there was a, was there a case when United did it. I've got a feeling Rooney did it for United as well, took a quick free kick like that. They were all the rage, quick free kicks. They, they, they were all the rage for about a five-year period. And I think referees basically got told, we don't really want it. It looks cheap. Get rid of it. Set the free kicks up properly. Um, and you see now referees almost over-checking. It takes 20 minutes to take a free kick sometimes when it's in that sort of shooting position. Um but Lee Mason blew his whistle. Lewis Dunk was perfectly entitled to take it. And then I don't know what happened after that, frankly, Dan. <laughs> the, the next five minutes just descended into complete fall. It was the Benny Hill show <laughs> on the football pitch. <laughs> he, yeah. gave, he, he, he disallowed the goal, didn't he? That was his first thing. He said, no, 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 I blew a second whistle. I disallowed it. Then he seemed to say, oh, well, I, I'll go and look at the VAR and there's no offside, so I might allow it. Before he got reminded, but you didn't disallow it for offside. You disallowed it because you you said you'd blown it. It was just a complete mess. Um, I I don't know. He he lost his mind. He can't have caught after that game thinking he'd done anything other than absolutely cocked that up. That said, my sympathy for Brighton is completely limited by the fact oh, yeah, they missed completely. two penalties. They missed two penalties in that game. Yeah, so. and, and, <laughs> um, and one. <laughs> One, one decision that Lee Mason actually managed to get right was Danny Welbeck's penalty hit the post, come back to him, and they kind of fell over and skewed it behind for a goal kick anyway, but it was a free kick because you can't score your own rebound. I only found that out today. Uh, I only found out on Saturday. You can't score your own rebound if it's not been touched by, by anyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's I mean, right. It's, um, it's a bit ridiculous. that for, for my money, that rule needs to be changed. Wherein if you hit the post, you've not deliberately kicked it against the post to come back to you, have you? Well, I mean, let's not change any more rules, Dan. Well, Lee Mason well, yeah. can't keep up with the ones we've got. <laughs> yeah, I think. Uh, and I mean, I, like, I mean, you know, we we can talk if if we want to about the the handball in the game yesterday as well. Now, I, I, there is a part of me that thinks we've got to the point where the rules are so complicated that fifteen people in a room looking at the same incident wouldn't be able to get to any sort of consensus. Yeah, that's mm. that's exactly it. Yeah. And and I think that's a problem with, with the game generally. None of that uh, excuses Lee Mason. It wasn't VAR, it wasn't confusing rules, it was just a cock up by Lee Mason. Which shouldn't <laughs> be a surprise because he makes them frequently. Um and then I think you were you were um chuckling to yourself, Dan, when it turned out that he was then unavailable for VAR duty on Sunday due to an injury. Oh, I know. It's, it's like, do you remember when we had a phrase of um, of goalkeepers being rested instead of dropped? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I think the injury's bruised pride, isn't it, I suspect, <laughs> uh, more than anything. But yeah, you, you're completely right, Paul. He just messed it, well, if, didn't he? Well, if, if that goal would have gone against West Brom, if that goal would have gone... In the opposite direction, it would have been West Brom who had a goal this allowed. I think Sam Allardyce might have bruised something else, to be quite frank. He's lucky it was Graham Potter who won't do or say anything. 
<laughs> yeah, uh, Graham Potter's a, a sort of quiet, mild-mannered guy, isn't he? And uh, <laughs> yeah, just a complete mess. I mean, awful. maybe Brighton should put dunk on penalties because at least he knows how to kick the ball. <laughs> <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, you've got someone who can actually stick it in the back of the net. Get him off free kicks. Get him on penalties. <laughs> well, I think, you know, I think Brian needs to get somebody on something because I don't mean they're completely safe yet. But no, I, I mean, I don't have much more to add really on the on the Lee Mason situation other than to say the point that you've made a number of times, Dan, since, since VAR came in, which is that the problem isn't so much a technology, it's the referees. <laughs> And it does just go and, and show it again. I, I do think they've got a hard job. I do think, as I've said, the rules have been made overly complicated in some areas with there's the rule and then there's the guidance and then there's the interpretation. And, and you think just let's simplify stuff, guys. Um, but inherently, and Graham Sooner said it the other week, didn't he, on Sky, we don't have any referees at the last World Cup from, from the UK. Um, we have a problem with the standard of our refereeing. It's dreadful. And I don't know what, what they do about that. I, I think part of it, if I'm being honest with you guys, is it's in the social media era, who would be a referee? That, that's very it's true. bad enough when you've got, you know, 40,000 drunk people shouting at you on a Saturday afternoon. But at least, you know, you get in your car, you drive away from the ground. That's it. It's done. You can get on with your family life for the rest of the week. You can't get away from it now in the, you know, 24-hour news, sports news all over the place. Dermot Gallagher doing ref watch on Monday morning on Sky Sports News. Peter Walton talking you know, rubbish. Peter, Peter Walton turning up in a square twice a game to say, <laughs> well, I, the referee could have given one decision, but then again, he could have given another one. Um, Huge insight. You know, and, and, and Twitter, it's just, I, I don't know why anyone would do it. And I wonder if... Um, I wonder if we need to think about how we make refereeing a more attractive career because my feeling is at the moment you're not necessarily getting talented people, you're just getting the people who are willing to stick it out. Yeah, that's very true. It's... um... As I say, it's a it's a difficult job, but and it's interesting that you mentioned VAR and VAR couldn't, couldn't get the mess off that we we don't have audio assistant referee, we just have video video assistant referee. But Lee Mason is so incompetent. We now need audio assistant to determine when the whistle was blown for the second time. As it turns out, that was as the ball entered the net. Yeah, and it, it's a goal. It's as simple as that. It should be a goal. And I completely agree with you that I've limited sympathy for Brighton, not least because I'm still not over that penalty that got given against Andy Robertson in November uh, in the last minute at their place. Um, but they, they missed two penalties of their own as well and they were both absolutely right decisions. But yeah, I, 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 I'm not expecting Lee Mason to turn up at Leaks CSOB next weekend. Uh, I'm sure he'll need some time to recuperate from his injury. Yeah, I don't know where, where they'll send Lee Mason next week, but if there's any justice, that that'd be a demotion offence, wouldn't it? A one-week demotion offence, because uh, he's made a complete mess there of a relatively basic element of the game. And as, when as there's we, a free kick, wait till everyone's lined up, then blow your whistle. As, um, as Warren Allsworth, um, a friend of ours who's a Nottingham Forest fan, who's a, a regular listener, always says... Um, like. It's all well and good demoting referees, but what have we done in the championship to deserve that? <laughs> um, yeah, well, that's quite fair. With with Mr. Mason, I completely take that point on board. Interesting weekend for the top four. Um, kind of Liverpool got back to winning ways. 
Um, Chelsea, who are in good form, generally speaking, had a bit of a, a dour 0-0 draw with with United. Um, Tottenham also hit a, hit a few extra gears and, and won against Burnley. Looking like it's going to be a tight race for that fourth place. And with the injuries they had this weekend, I'm not entirely sure that Leicester can hang the hat on that third place, which I thought they were certain to get two weeks ago. Yeah, it's a shame for them. The injuries have come at a, a really. I mean, they've they've struggled with injuries, you know, all through the season, and a lot, you know, a lot of clubs have. But you know, they've got now some really key players uh, out at a, a really critical time. So you do feel bad, particularly obviously how with like how last season ended for them as well. You do sort of worry as is history sort of repeating itself a bit there. Um, but they do seem to have a good sort of spirit in that squad. So they they might you know they might tough it out. I think they know that they're. They're sort of punching above their weight a bit in terms of the the resources they've got there and so on, um, compared to the teams, you know, most of the teams around them, with the exception of West Ham, who we'll come on to in a sec. Um, but I, yeah, I do I do worry for them um, because it's it's that question of yeah, where are the where's the where's the creativity and therefore where's the where are the goals coming from? Um, that that's probably the worry with 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 Leicester. Um, but as you say, Liverpool sort of. After a dreadful run, let's face it, sort of back to winning ways um, makes it, you know, in, interesting again. I still feel it's probably four from that from that six. Um, you know, West Ham are on a, a really nice run, but I, I don't know if they've got the legs to go the difference. You know, to go the distance. I mean, um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know. Well, do do you want us to come in with our uh, how are we going to do this, Dan? You wanted us to come in with our. Who do we think? Um, do we have to put them in a secret ballot and you read them out? Or <laughs> I don't want to. Uh, don't some... want to influence anyone's thoughts. Which yeah. basically be don't say the same teams I'll say because I'll be wrong. Uh... <laughs> well, there'll be, so, there'll so be I'll, I'll, I'll give you my general view then before we take Corn's uh, predicted second, third, and fourth because I think there's no question about who's going to be first. None whatsoever. Um, but I, I, I look. I think the point about Leicester's a really good one. Um, they. They fell away at the end of last season, ultimately, because of the squad depth. The squad depth is an issue. They weren't just beaten yesterday. I mean, maybe I'm bound to say this as an Arsenal fan. Arsenal battered them for most of the game yesterday. Um, it's as well as Arsenal have kind of controlled and dominated a game in, probably other than the first half at Wolves, which we all know what happened in injury time in that game. So um, I was pleased when we'd gone 2-1 up just before half time. we managed to see out the three minutes of added time without shooting ourselves in the foot. Um but Arsenal completely controlled that game. After the first 10 minutes, it was just pretty much one-way traffic um, until the last sort of seven or eight when Leicester were throwing a bit of the kitchen sink at it. Um, what I would say for Leicester is the next three games are Burnley away, Brighton away, Sheffield United at home. Now, there's an opportunity there for Leicester to go. and If they can go and put three wins back-to-back, I think they give themselves enough of a cushion to just see themselves over the line. Um, they do have some trickier games to come after that. I think they've still got to play Man City. They've still got to go to West Ham. And, you know, Khan's just said rightly how well West Ham are playing. I think their last three are Man United, Chelsea, Tottenham. So they wouldn't want to need a lot out of those three games. Um, but I think this next three is massive for Leicester. If they were to get mm. seven or nine points, I'd really fancy him for a, a top four spot. If they were to drop more than just a couple of points in this in this run of three games, then I think you start to fear uh, that it is going to be history repeated. I think to, to talk about West Ham, they are doing brilliantly. They've had a fantastic season. Really Again, good. 
is the squad depth there? Not sure. When you look at their fixtures again, what West Ham have done this year really, really well is they've won the games they should win. And, and you know, you can go a long way in the Premier League winning the games you should win. Uh, they, they've got uh, leads next, but then they do hit a tougher run. I think they then play Manchester United, Arsenal, away at Wolves, and then Leicester in a kind of four-game spell. And I think they play Chelsea just after that as well. So, you know, West Ham have got a test that's about to come and hit them. And I, I agree with Corn. I'm not sure I think they've quite got enough, again, squad depth as much as anything to get through those those games when they come. I think they are reliant on two or three players for goals. And, and that's, I think, one of the things that you'd, you'd worry about a bit with West Ham. You know, if Suchek doesn't score and Antonio doesn't score, you know, where are the goals coming from? Um, but they've done incredibly well and they've put themselves right in the mix with 12 games left. Well, I, mean, I, w- I would add to that Jesse Lingard. <laughs> well, no, yeah, indeed. Lingard's an, come an in inspired and got, signing. Yeah, actually. yeah, he has. He's, he's been a really, really good loan signing. I yeah. think he should go to West Ham permanently. I really do. I mm. think it'd be a great yeah. move for him. It's one of those best, um, best all-round kind of transfers. Yeah, I, I, I think it's kind of run its course at Man U. David Moyes clearly rates him and trusts him. Um, and... You know, Moyes is now probably one of the safest managers in the Premier League, isn't he? After this season, how bad would West Ham have to be next year for David Moyes to get sacked? He's pretty safe, I would think, for at least a couple of years. Um, I would, in almost all normal circumstances, still look at where Liverpool are and say they will finish in the top four. Um, It's the centre-half issue is the concern. And, I, you know, I don't think there's any sign, is there, Dan, of any of them getting back quickly there's a thought that Van Dyke might make at the end of the season like, like April you know but but by by the end of April we'll be know, how, exactly what, what what's the points position at that stage I, I think you know the obviously the Chelsea on Thursday it's a huge game I think it's a bigger game for Liverpool than it is for Chelsea yeah I feel like Liverpool probably have to win that game um if, they, if they're going to have a chance of the top four uh, ordinarily, I would say Liverpool will still be absolutely fine, but I, I do worry about the centre half situation. It's it's pretty desperate. I don't. Is there any sign on when Fabinho might be back, Dan? Yeah, he's, he's supposed. From what Jurgen said after the game yesterday, um, Fabinho will be back, and Jota was going to be in the squad yesterday, but um, fell ill irritatingly. You know, so those those two help, uh, but but clearly there's there's still an issue there at centre half that I think is a problem for them. Um, it, I, I think it, the interesting thing is how far do you then go down the table, uh, and and did you say you think for, it's probably six teams, Connor? You think are in the race? So Everton are seventh. Um, well, I, d- I did say that, and then I also realised that Everton do have two games in hand. They, similarly, Villa in ninth. Villa in ninth. They're six points behind West Ham with two in hand. I think Arsenal are eight points behind in the same games are probably just about out of it. Although they do still have West Ham to play in a couple of weeks. And if they were to go to West Ham and win, you know, maybe depending on what the other teams are doing around that time. Uh, I think Arsenal are probably out of it. Eight points behind, 12 games left. And a lot of teams in between them and the target. It's not like they are the one team sort of chasing down. Um, but I think everybody above Arsenal is still in the race. I think Spurs are still in the race. Um, you know, six points behind West Ham, one game in hand. 
we all know what the story is with Spurs, very reliant on Kane and, and Son. It was important for them. I think that Bale got a couple of goals um, yesterday, although you know, Burnley basically didn't bother turning up. Um, but, but Spurs needed that win for confidence. Villa keep winning. I mean, I thought they started the season really well, Villa. The last couple of times I've watched them, I've not been super impressed with them, but they end up with more goals than the other team at the end of the game. And that's sort of, you know, that's, that's the point. <laughs> you know, that's the point of playing. So um, I, I think at this point that Chelsea are the ones who I think are probably most certain of their spot. I just think the problem with Chelsea, we've all known has been defensively and Tuchel's turned them around completely. Uh, they've only conceded two goals since he's been there. Um, I think they are now the second best defence in the league because they've they've conceded two and eight or whatever the, the record is. Um, so they're now the second best defensive record. I just think they're the ones who look pretty solid to me at this point. We've always known with Chelsea, they've got enough quality players going forward. They'll nick goals. Um, so if he can continue to kind of keep them out at the other end. Again, they, they've maybe had... If you remember, they had this run in, in the first half of the season under Frank, didn't they, where they had a nice run of fixtures... And they and they put a little winning run together, and everyone was all oh, Chelsea in the title race. And then they hit their tougher run of games, and it kind of all fell away for them. I think Tuchel has been slightly fortunate with the fixtures he started with, but when I look at um, you know again, it, it, it's a hard finish for Chelsea. I think their last four are City, Arsenal, Leicester, Villa. So you know it, it does get hard at the end. Um, but I think Chelsea will be okay. I think they, they they look as though they've got a good balance about them at the moment. Um, and Chelsea always seem to have a new manager bounce, don't they? Like whenever Chelsea change their manager mid-season, there always seems to be a, a kick-on effect. Uh, so I, th- I think there are more teams in it than I think Khan said. Um, I will keep my uh, final four under wraps as well, Dan, until we've heard until we've heard how you would generally assess it. My, my my take on the top four is I'm not going to insult anybody by saying City are going to finish top because they clearly are. I think United will finish second comfortably. I think Chelsea will finish third and I think Leicester will finish fourth. Go on then, Con. Well, I was going to be uh, depressingly big club centric, unfortunately, and go City, United, Chelsea, Liverpool. Okay, and I am going to. I, I have. I have to say, this was my order before Dan said it, but I'm going to go City, United, Chelsea, and I'm just going to go Leicester in fourth. But check back with me in three weeks' time because if Leicester have lost points in these next three games, then I think that fourth place is wide open. Yeah. Um, but I at mean, the moment, I, I certainly want you to be right, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> at the moment, I'm going to go Chelsea third. I think they look the most solid bet, and I'm going to go Leicester fourth. I think Liverpool will finish seventh or eighth. As long as we finish the that... Thursday night cup positions, then... <laughs> you you hope they finish seventh or eighth if it avoids the cup. Yeah. yeah, basically, you don't want to finish where you are now in six because then you're straight <laughs> in Thursday Cup territory, aren't you? So yeah, Thursday you go Cup. up or down, you're happy, basically. <laughs> yeah, basically, third, fourth, or win the Champions League. In, in an ideal in an ideal world, and, and I don't think we will, I think there's, there's teams far better off the, the teams that have their first 11 outs and we don't um, that will stop us from winning the Champions League. But in an ideal world, Everton will finish fourth and we'll win the Champions League. 
but that won't happen. I'm not that lucky. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm probably basing my prediction on Liverpool's reputation over the last few years rather than actually the current team you're putting out, to be fair. But I just, I don't know why, I just have a feeling. And I think it's just because in the Premier League that the big clubs always seem to prevail. Um, and I think that's why I've gone with with them. But I'd, I would I would like Leicester to finish in the top four. I mean, I'd, yeah, I'd be delighted even if if, if if it was City, United, Leicester and West. If it was the current top four, that'd be, be brilliant just because it's different <laughs> and it doesn't affect my club. So, you know, win-win. And we know that we know that you're a big fan of the winner in, in all of his facets, Khan. <laughs> well, it's quite a turnaround from him, to be fair, given he was in, you know, the sort of managerial scrap heap after his little, you know, Spanish jolly as well. and Completely. Well, you have to remember, he first ballot West Ham a couple of years ago when he came in as the caretaker, basically, to keep them up. He kept West Ham up, did the job, and then got zero offers on the back of it. Mm. Like, you know, nobody wanted to touch David Moyes until West Ham were desperate again and were like, uh, can you come back, David? Um, I think if, you know, if he left West Ham at the end of this season, and I don't think for a second it happens... I would imagine there'll be more clubs interested in David Moyes than there were a couple of years ago. He has rehabilitated himself, mm-hmm. and I think I think to give you know to finish on that point, I think to give David Moyes some credit, he's learned from the experience at Sunderland, where he took a bad job with bad players, yeah. but he also was so negative, like they were so defensive. That Sunderland tried to win every game nil nil um, <laughs> when David Moyes was the manager, and and. I think at West Ham, he, that they play, you know, they they get it in the box a bit more than your typical Premier League team in 2021. But I, I think they they try and score goals, they try and go forward, they play on the front foot. Um, you know, they don't pass it around in midfield nine times for, for you know to go nowhere. They haven't got a, a granite Xhaka going sideways when there's a forward pass on. They, they pass it forwards and they and they get about the opposition and they and they play positively. So I think he deserves some credit for that because even when he had his great success at Everton, I don't think anyone would ever have called his Everton teams attack-minded. Uh, they were safety-first teams that were good at winning 1-0. Um, and I think he has slightly changed his managerial ethos, which, fair play to him. I, I, I'm like you, Con. I thought he was probably done as a Premier League manager. And um, yet here he is. I'm still not giving him any credit. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, I jest. Uh, rich, richly deserved praise for um, for the uh, the self-proclaimed Moisier is doing a, a great job at West Ham. No, uh, no arguments with that at all. Uh, anything else that we wanted to bring up? We've been um, it's a bit of a Barcelona-centric episode. Yeah, we're on the we're on the long side, Dan. So I'll keep it short. But just to note that Paul Lambert's been sacked again. I saw which that. Could yeah. be, which could be any any week's podcast from the last seven seasons. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this time it's Ipswich. You've got rid of him. Um, and uh, yeah, I think probably you know I know one Ipswich fan who thinks this is long, long overdue. Um, but again, another club, completely different end of the spectrum to Barcelona, but another club that's struggling because of a lack of clear leadership and direction right at the top. And we say all the time on this podcast, if, if you if you don't have good leadership at the very, very top of your club, it, it doesn't matter what else happens. It's very, very difficult to win. It's even more difficult when you appoint Paul Lambert as manager there. <laughs> Can't anything from you? Um, well, not not to end too much on a, on a down note, but it, it was announced uh, yesterday, I think, that uh, Glenn Roder had... Um, 
in past oh, way, yes, you know, football yes, manager and um you know I, I i don't know much sort of about him but i remember him as a premier league manager and uh yeah just thought uh should maybe maybe just just to mention that without meaning to end it on a <laughs> on a downer but uh yeah just something that i think this sort of uh broke the news at, at half time i think it was in the uh in the united chelsea game um yesterday afternoon uh see so obviously very very sad news um Seems to be seem to be a, a good good bloke from what I could tell. From yeah, I think his reputation in the gamers is a very nice guy and a very good coach. I think an underrated coach of, of football players, someone who I think spent most of his career really as a coach. He, he kind of got the managerial opportunity at West Ham almost by accident um, in the yeah. end, and, and did a good job there, and then did a good job at Newcastle. Um, you know, people people forget he had a. a a spell in the uh, in the craziness that is Newcastle, where they were quite stable for a couple of years. Just I think that was just before the Ashley takeover, wasn't it? It was at the end of the the kind of Freddie Shepherd um, mm-hmm. time when they were in Douglas Hall when they were looking to sell the club, and and he was sort of keeping them stable in the middle of the Premier League. And um, yeah, he'd obviously had his his health problems when he was managing West Ham, the brain tumour, and it it looks as though he never quite. You know, totally fought that off. He's only sixty-five. You know, there are there are managers who've been managing in the Premier League successfully at sixty-five. When you think of the Wengers and the Fergusons, and so it's a, a real shame for Glenn and his family, and obviously uh, condolences to people who knew him. Um, but a highly respected football coach, really nice guy, um, according to all reports, and you know, was on Glenn Hoddle's England staff as well. So clearly, somebody who's got who had a lot of respect in the game and. Um, you know, uh, will be fondly remembered, I think, by the by the clubs he managed. Yeah, well, well said, you both. Um, t- t- if we want to make sure that we do end on a, a light-hearted note, um, this will make you laugh, Paul. Um, just checking Twitter quickly, it would appear that Paul Lambert is the four-to-one favourite for the Celtic job. Oh my God! <laughs> I think someone's having a Celtic. Have Celtic decided after winning nine leagues in a row they've got border winning? <laughs> well, they give it to Neil Lennon, so. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, but there's Neil Lennon, there's Neil Lennon, and then there's. But maybe they were just going through the midfield of that Vim Janssen team. Because <laughs> uh, I think Lennon and Lambert were both from that side. What's, uh, what's Pierre Van Hooydonk doing this? Is, is Pierre maybe Van Lennon was a bit. Maybe Lennon was a bit later. Maybe it was the O'Neill team they played together in. I think Lambert was in that Janssen team. I think Lennon was still at Leicester. But they, they played together under O'Neill. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, it's, it's maybe a subject for another time, but I really have no idea who Celtic appoint. Eddie Howe, is my opinion. <laughs> I mean, I, I like Eddie Howe. I think he's a good manager. I thought he was a bit too far north when he took the Burnley job, yes. let alone going to Glasgow. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think he's like they'd, eat, they'd eat him alive up there. Yeah, he's a, he's a quietly <laughs> spoken southerner. Uh, I think he probably is a better fit, you know, uh, other 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 jobs. I think if um, and we give him a lot of praise earlier in the season, but if Hassan Hoodle doesn't turn Southampton round quickly, uh, I could see maybe a change there in the summer. And I think that's the sort of job Eddie Howard mm-hmm. would be maybe better yeah. suited to. Poor Ralph Hassan Hoodle. We've gone from talking him for a. A bigger job to suddenly sacking him in the summer. Oh, in the space yeah, of about think, three weeks. The fans still like him, though, don't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, the fans I, don't want to lose him. I, I don't think. think they... I, I don't think the fans put any of the blame on Hassan Hoodle. Again, we talk about small squads. I think the view is Southampton have got about fourteen, you know, Premier League standard players, and then a load of other people who just get on the pitch every now and again. And 
think there's a bit of a feeling from some of the Saints fans that maybe the board should put the hand in the pocket and find him one or two uh, new signings to strengthen the squad. Southampton fans are probably like me, we're in this season's just a, a one-off freak because of the circumstances and let's all meet up again in August and, and see where we're at. <laughs> yeah, and, and to be honest, Dan, I mean, I think I feel a little bit the same about Arsenal. I was having the conversation even before the game yesterday. Uh, you know, people were saying, well, Arteta seems to be a nice guy and he seems to have an idea, but what do you do if we finish 12th? And I said, well, I think given the season, I think you probably just have to say, okay, we finished 12th, no Thursday Cup next year. Um, let's see how he does with you know proper pre-season and proper midweek breaks between games and and then start to judge him. And I think there's a lot of clubs for whom this season's just been a really strange experience. Or you can just watch Mikel Arteta doing keepy-ups at the new camp. <laughs> well, um, you know, if, I, again, I don't know how... I didn't ask Andy that, but I don't know how Laporte would sell that to the fans. Here we are, here's our new manager. I'm replacing Ronald Koeman with a bloke who just finished 10th with Arsenal. <laughs> I'm not, you know, and I like Mick, don't get me wrong, I wouldn't be keen to lose him. I do think he's he's, he's the right man for now at, at Arsenal. Necessarily saying he's the answer long term, but he's definitely the right man for now. Um, but I'm not sure how you'd sell it to the Barca fans if we do finish 10th and, and don't win the Thursday Cup. Right. Um, we could go on and on, and we, and we have done, quite frankly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we're, we'll call it the. Please remember you can catch. The Big Football Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music and on Podbean. And we'll be back next week with another episode. Thank you very much for your time. And again, thanks to uh, to Andy for stopping by. <laughs>